the one that I saw was uh, unusually tall one that said one tequila, two tequila, three tequila, floor. <laughs> <laughs> and now that we have that recorded. <laughs> Fortunately, you have a yeah, nice editing that was, software. That was Gregory. Bartos, yeah, not up. That's right. <laughs> Okay. So, um, two weeks ago we talked about distribution of wealth um, with regard to the uh, watching. If you fall asleep, you just got to reach over and smoke. Um, we talked about uh, redistribution of wealth with regard to uh, look, we're all taking the easy seats. And yes. Um, We've all been sitting here. <laughs> Uh, with regard to the uh, the government, and uh, for those who, who haven't heard it online yet, because they haven't put it online yet, uh, and for them, of course, <laughs> it'll be online before this one. That's right, probably true. Okay. Um, and uh, and for those that that were not here, um, is wealth, according to God, according to His Torah, is wealth supposed to be distributed? Yes. 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 Is the government supposed to distribute it? My wealth? Your wealth. No. <laughs> no. And, and the key uh, to remember from all that is that the Torah indicates that God desires a partnership with us. He will bless you so that you will bless others. And that he can work with you to do that. David's question, why did you just get rid of all the poor? So we're all on, this, on level foot. And his response, according to the sages, is if everybody was wealthy and there were no poor, then there would be no acts of tzedakah. There would be nobody that could do these acts. So I'm giving you the opportunity to be like me, God says, by providing you with poor. And even the Master, Yeshua, said, you'll always have the poor with you. So today we look uh, again along the whole election deal the question of social services and uh, uh, welfare and all that kind of stuff. So we take a look here at tzedakah versus charity. So what's what's the difference between the two? I thought tzedakah was charity. What's the deal? Tzedakah, the sages say, is actually a command because Good. there is actual discipline if you don't give it and you can actually take somebody to court if they don't give tzedakah but charity is out of one's own heart out of one's own it, there's there's no real measure to it yeah, as it says in the Talmud exactly I mean charity w- could be not not whether you leave some corner on your field but how much good when you do tzedakah exactly how much charity, charity. good what's the uh, what's the Hebrew word for charity What does it start with? Chesed. 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 Loving kindness is charity, right? What's what's tzedakah really mean? What class is this? This is the right. tzedakah class. Like yeah, it's righteousness. Okay, so you do this. It's a righteous act. It's a mitzvah, as you said. It's commanded to perform tzedakah. But chesed is not commanded, it's voluntary, as it is with God. 
and we imitate Him when we perform acts of chesed or loving kindness. Uh, okay, so you translated that. Shuva, Tfila, Zadaka. That would be. Uh, yeah, repentance. Sacks. I knew you'd like this. Yeah. <laughs> repentance. Repentance. Praise. Ah. Or song. Prayer. Prayer, right. which is why the Psalms are called Tehillim. Right. right? And then Tzedakah, righteousness, right? right? The Hebrew for charity is not Tzedakah, but Chesed. These two words have opposite meanings. Now, when he said that, I was surprised. I didn't believe that. I thought they were the same thing, but from different points of view. Chesed, or charity, implies that the recipient has no right to the gift and that the donor is under no obligation to give it. He gives it gratuitously from the goodness of his heart. His act is a virtue rather than a duty, which is what, you, what Greg just said. On the other hand, tzedakah means righteousness or justice. The implications that the donor gives because it's his duty. He's got to do it. But firstly, everything in the world belongs ultimately to God. A man's possessions are not his by right. Rather, they're entrusted to him by God. We call this in the church stewardship. Right? We want to be good stewards. And one of the conditions of that trust is that he should give to those who are in need. So that's the whole idea, right? We're looking at, he gave me a bunch, I'm obligated to give some of it back. Hello. Hello. What's going on? Hello. We saved the, uh, we saved the wood chips for you guys. <laughs> Good to see you. Good to see you. Good to see you too. We did have a bean bag, but then no. <laughs> We have to stop meeting like this. <laughs> oh, yeah, take this one. This is you, baby. I kept, it, I kept it warm for you. All right. All right, so to recap, uh, charity versus tzedakah. Charity is voluntary. Tzedakah is obligated. And the way Rabbi Jonathan Sachs puts it, um, charity or chesed is actually the opposite of tzedakah. So if, if we're giving tzedakah, it's because we're obligated to do so, because we're being good stewards of what God has given us. And it harkens back and helps dovetail with the class two weeks ago in that wealth is supposed to be redistributed, but it's supposed to be redistributed by us because we're obligated to do so. Okay? So I think that's a very cool quote, and uh, I was hoping that Gregory would be here to see it since... Uh, I know he wants a signed copy of Rabbi Sachs, something rather. That's something. Nefty. His nephew. Are taxes biblical? Yes. yes. Whoa, I got two yes, I got three silent. Yes? Well, well defined yeah. biblical. No, sorry, you've already given me a thing. Taxes? Taxes? They're in the Bible. Yes. They're in the Bible. They're in the Bible. Oh, look at that. <laughs> Let me weave through the camel's eye. Oh, yeah. Are they biblical? Well, they're in the Bible. Yeah, well, the Bible talks about polygamy and bigamy and murder and adultery. And it's in the Bible. It doesn't mean it's biblical. Okay. So, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Okay. Okay. That one comes to mind. I don't know any others. What else comes to mind? Can we give you some examples? Samuel told the people that the king will will tax you. And there's a oh. temple tax. Unbelievable. For the upkeep of the temple. No, let me let me let me slow down because he's already got my next slide. Uh, first in Exodus one eleven, we've got uh, I thought I just wanted to bring this up quickly before you give me your examples. Taskmasters is actually from the same root mas that we get tax. So these taskmasters, these uh, 
Sa'ei Ma'asim, I believe it is, these uh, princes of the tax, uh, are the task or literally tax masters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens for they built for Pahro, store cities, Pitom, and Ramses, right? But yeah, the king's tax, you're exactly right, Jonathan. 1 Samuel 8, 10 through 12, for those in Gastonia. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots, to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. That's almost the same deal as taskmaster, but not quite as harsh, we would hope. And he'll appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest, and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. What's he saying? The king's going to demand stuff of you, whether it's your time, services, or your services, or your money. Right? You bet. You bet. Second uh, Samuel, same guy. Adoram was in charge of the forced labor. Again, same kind of deal, right? Uh, and uh, Jehoshaphat, the son of Ehud, was the recorder. Uh, forced labor, if you check it in another version, taxes. It literally says taxes. Check it out. <coughs> Two Sam. Two Sam. Two Sam 20. Actually, that. Yeah, I think this was correct. So uh, Rabbi David Kimchi, I love the uh, I love the abbreviations for for the sages, right? R D K Radak. He was in charge of raising taxes from Israel. He's talking about Adorn. When they were needed to give to the soldiers or to the, to execute the king's policies, for that's the law for kings. And as uh, the rabbis of blessed memory said, it is permissible to tax them. Radak says this taxes is okay. That's what he was in charge of, doing the taxes. Okay. <coughs> and, uh, you know, we already heard the one from the apostolic writings there. Um, what, are, what are taxes supposed to do? I mean, in a, in a perfect world. Be used to support the people. What people? Uh, support the needs. Infrastructure. Support the what? The need. Yeah, the infrastructure. The needs to provide for common defense. I like that. Yeah, that I sounds was... so constitutional. <laughs> I've heard that yeah, sometimes. I would say taxes should, should, and I think historically, are for uh, war. Well, at least here in war. America, they for were. Defense. Yeah. Here in America, they were designed for infrastructure. Yeah. Infrastructure. Uh, correct. Actually, our Constitution says and specifically states that a tax, every tax that is levied by Congress must be useful and used for all of the citizenry. It may not constitutionally be used for a subset or a section of the people. John Adams, I think it's John Adams, Patrick Henry. It may not be used for what? An individual group. Like, we've got these poor people over here. Right. Uh, in fact, I'll tell you a story. Um, oh, you can, mean like I can't re- uh, Not necessarily, but I, I can't remember the exact founding father. It's Patrick Henry, John Adams, it was one of those guys, and, and he's riding horseback through the countryside of his state, and he wants to be elected as a state senator. So he's going around and literally talking to everybody and sharing who he is so that they'll vote for him. And he gets to this old farmer who's got this big plot of land, and he keeps to himself, he's a hard worker, 
and he provides for many families who work for him. And the guy's fixing his fence post and getting his fence rails uh, done. And uh, this guy rides up and says, uh, I'm running for Congress. I'd like you to vote for me. And he says, uh, I'll vote for any man who'll support the Constitution. And he says, well, I'm all about the Constitution. I'm, I'm, yeah, that's, that's me. I, I'm all about the Constitution. you got to love it. So the guy votes for him, and he actually gets into office. Two years, four years later, depending on whether he's a senator or a congressman, or six years, whatever it is, he comes back around running for re-election. Same old guy, same farmer. I don't think it was the same fence post, which is good. <laughs> and he says, uh, I'm, I'm running for re-election, looking for your vote again. And he says, I'm sorry, son, I can't vote for you. You're going to have to vote against your opponent. I have, I have one of the best reputations in all of Congress. I've done so much good for the state. Why, why would you vote against me? Because you don't support the Constitution. Of course I support the Constitution. And the farmer says, no, you think you support the Constitution. Do you remember when that congressman's wife got the money? So the farmer continues. He says, a congressman died and his wife, along with everybody in the town, was mourning because the congressman died in a fire and it killed like all the men in the, in the, in the whole town. And so many people were left in need. Families, wives, that are now single moms with kids and everything. And you voted to send $1,000 to their town specifically for those families. He said, it's against the Constitution. Because it was only used by them, not everybody. You took money from the people of the United States and you chose where it went. He said, that's not constitutional. I'm sorry, son, I can't vote for it. And he didn't. But Henry or Adams, whichever one it was, changed his politics 100% of that. And the next time a vote came up like that, where there was a disaster, and Congress wanted to provide money to this one group of people, not the entire United States, he voted against it and stood up and said, we can't do that, it's against the Constitution, and I'm willing to pay out of my pocket because I feel the misery. And I'm willing to pay part of that. Who will pay with me? And we won't have to pass a bill. We'll just meet the need right now. That's ideal. You bet it is. The bill passed against his vote, and not one other congressman would give money to the cause. Such is the politics in our country many times, it seems. So, cool. By the way, if you like stories like that, um, David Barton and uh, what's his? Uh, David Barton? Uh, um, wall Builders. Wobbles. Awesome stuff there. So, what's for social programs that benefit anyone in need? What would social programs be? In this time period? But yeah, right now. Now. Would, would that be Tadaka? Or what's Kesson? Who will define social programs? Uh, uh, social programs. Transfer. Pro- 
welfare, social security. I kind of feel like it should Medicare. be. It should depend on the particular. particular if you only have, because like, for instance, if it was if there was a temple, then it seems like it would be tzedakah because. Like welfare is like when the priests redistribute the food to the poor and all of that. Okay. But then, if there isn't a temple system, then that should be charity. Okay. Because there wouldn't be something to facilitate all of that would without you ever bringing know, up your. Would you ever know about my chair? Uh, no. Well, maybe. If I was yeah. the recipient of his charity, I would cool. know that. Well, but other than that. Uh, if, you, that, if you take yeah, people, I might not even know it if I, even if I'm the recipient. Sure. How, you, how I how I how good he did it. But but we would think normally no. Would I know about your tzedakah? Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. And it should. I mean, to a certain extent, especially if if the, if you're helping a person by in Torah times making them a slave, indentured servant. I mean, they are yours. They're your property. They yes. go on, go in into the town for business on your behalf. So it's known. That you are a, you know, a, a man giving good. Good. How about how about in a in a Torah community in these days? Uh, I mean, it's assumed. Possible. You have to start a ministry, and then <laughs> <laughs> a foundation named after. That's right. That's right. <laughs> the Bartos Foundation. <laughs> if among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Gentlemen, I think it would be wise if you can tell me off the top of your head without blinking an eye in what reference the Master said that he did not come to abolish the law but to fulfill it, and I know probably everybody here can, you ought to memorize that reference. Devarim, Deuteronomy 15, verses 7 and 8. Because that one, in my mind, is just as important that you know. You just moved the one. Very clever. Matthew 5, 17. Matthew 5, 17. Okay, that's good. Yeah. It's actually 13 through 17. But, you know, well, if we're talking about the I'd like to get these in context. That would be yes, that's great. Okay? So, the poor, and the Master said, as we said earlier, the poor you will always have with you. Charity versus taxes. Check this out. This is the Ramban and the Shulchan Aruch. So we've got Maimonides, right? And then 15 out of the middle of the wall, we've got the Code of Jewish Law. Tax law is found in a different place uh, than charity law in both of their writings. In Maimonides... Mishnah Torah, that's the law of neighbors. The law of neighbors and how you're, you're dealing with others. Uh, in the Shulchan Aruch, it's Hilkot Shutafim. I may have got that backwards, but I think it is the laws of partners. And it, it has to do with business law. How are we going to go into business together? And how should we treat one another? And what's yours is mine, and what mine is yours, and yours is yours, and mine is mine. It's, but it's all in a different place than the charity stuff. Hilkot Matnot Aneyim, the laws of gifts to the poor, according to Rabbah, and Hilkot Tzedakah, as well as laws of gifts to the poor, as well as Hilkot Matnot Aneyim in the Shulchan Aruch. So, Jewish law, traditionally, our people have seen these two things as decidedly different. Always have been. Always have been. 
smaller communities in these days would pass a levy or a tax. If you recall seeing uh, the uh, movie The Patriot with uh, Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson. Um, they, they go to Virginia, right, to the state house there, and they're waiting and waiting, and you, know, you get the little um, congressional thing, scene, and then the kid comes running out, the levy passed, the levy passed. I always wonder what that meant. The levy's a tax. The tax passed. The levy passed. So the, uh, the idea was that in these Torah communities down through here, they would pass a levy to build a mikvah for the community, or to build a synagogue. What is that? Tzedakah or chesed? That would be tzedakah. It's tzedakah, absolutely. But that Everybody knows you should be paying your fair share to, for, the, for the community. Right. That goes along with the Constitution. Exactly right. We're all going to share the burden for the sake of the community. Well, for something that the whole community would use. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So, who's supposed to give? Who should give? Shulchan Aruch and Yorei Deya, 248.2, everyone is required to give tzedakah. Even a poor man. We've heard uh, stories, right, of the rabbis, right? He's so poor. I mean, he's, he's sad that he's so poor. Why is he sad? He's sad because he can't give to someone who's even poorer than him. So somebody finally gives him something and he takes a part of it and gives it to the poor guy who lives next door. Even a poor man supported by tzedakah is required to give from what is given to him. So what's the societal norm in our country? That if you can't, that if you're poor you don't give anything. You just You just get. So the, the Torah mindset is that everybody should be a giver. We don't want to be just a taker. We want to be a giver right. as much as possible. But, uh, and, well, isn't that evident in, is it the beginning of Numbers, the shekel of redemption that, that the city even says, if, if your brother is poor, you shall not diminish his value. That's right. If, if he's wealthy, rich, he doesn't right. have to pay more. Right. Right. We're all going to give. Flat. Flat, flat tax. Right. Flat um, what, what does our government promote? Rich give more, poor don't give more. An uneven giving, number one, and number two, which I think is more important. Socialism. Socialism. <laughs> definitely socialism. You know, right now you're definitely trying well, to bring everything everything together. Capital but, gains tax. Well, there actually is a capital gains tax, uh, Torah-wise, but um, I I think that our government promotes a desire to be helped. A mindset of dependence on the government. And they also promote a, a desire to withhold. And not to give? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's an out, uh, 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 an offset of what they're doing. I don't think that's their desire. I think it just ends up being that way for those that really do have. Because the ones that want to scream that people should be giving more are the ones that don't have as much as those and they don't realize, percentage-wise, how much they're giving. If 2% of the population in this country give 90% of the taxes, those 2% are giving an incredible amount of money, if you think about it. And if 52% of our, of our population is actually on some type of subsistence and not paying any taxes at all, 
it makes that number even more wildly large. But I think it, our government promotes that, that it's okay to receive the handout. Mm-hmm. It's okay to be dependent. And that's exactly the opposite of what the Torah teaches. You don't want that. And in fact, it's a Tzadik class. We're supposed to, uh, if you'll recall, the um, last of the uh, Ge'unim, uh, whose name escapes me now, but uh, he's the one who said you couldn't open another person's mail. Gershom. Gershom. Rabbi Gershom, right. Um, you couldn't open another person's mail. You couldn't have more than one wife. And you could never remind a Baal Shuva this past sin. So, I mean, our whole idea is, you know, the whole Lashon, uh, Lashon Harah should be going away. We, we should not remind, well, remember when I lent you that $5? Remember when you couldn't pay and, you know, and I helped you? you know, what's, what's that all about? I mean, we don't, we don't even need to go there. That's... I was trying to remember that Abraham quote with that burial guy. Was, oh yeah, what's a couple of shekels, right? Yeah, uh, that was the F. Uh, yeah, what's his name? The Dulamite, Dulamite, Dulamite. Something like that. Um, God does not want those who give and those who take. God is looking to have everyone give, and the ability to give is in and of itself a gift. So who's supposed to give? Everybody. Everybody. Well, how much do you give? So let's talk about how much you give. I, I, uh, I thought that the way the, uh, the Jewish community is looking at this is so decidedly different from our government and perhaps even from the way that we were raised. Um, it, would, it would be good to review this. So... It's a couple of things from the Shulchan Aruch. It is a positive commandment to give tzedakah according to one's means. Whoever gives less than is proper may be forced by the court until he gives what they assess of him. And wouldn't that be interesting if we actually looked at how much each person gave and had a bait dean that could come together and say, Isaac, you just got the raise, Bubba. You know, come on, there's... there's <laughs> Don't say anything. The amount one must give. If one has the means, one gives as much as the poor need. Now, I stopped reading there, and I just took my glasses off. And I'm like, you're kidding. I suppose i got to build a house. Suppose I have no house. What am I supposed to do here? If one does not have means sufficient for that, I felt good about this already, the optimal way of performing the mitzvah is by giving one-fifth of one's possessions. Okay. This really is a community opportunity, obviously. A standard donation would be one-tenth. Giving less than that is considered stingy. Okay. So, as the year goes by, are you given ten points? Twenty points is, is, is the goal here, is the mark uh, in this... Uh, in this mindset. I always remember the, the church that we attended for a long time. Um, and it, the pastor was, for the most part, you know, was into the prosperity gospel message. Right? Okay. And I just remember him always, you know, 
this is when you know, the 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 sermon before they passed the plate was longer than the message was, right? Yeah. <laughs> and um, I just remember he always used to say, you know, people would ask him, you know, well, do I tithe off for the gross? Pay? <laughs> yeah. And he used to say, well, do you want a net blessing or a gross blessing? <laughs> <laughs> This is uh, Rambam again. Every city in which 30 Jews dwell is required to appoint well-known and reliable people as tzedakah wardens. I like this. Their function will be to go around among the people from the eve of Shabbat to the eve of Shabbat and collect from each one the proper amount of his assessment. Then they distribute the money from the eve of Shabbat to the eve of Shabbat, giving to each food that will suffice for a week. This is called the kupa. That's cool. What are, when you read that, what's the first thing from a church mindset that comes to mind? Well, deacons. Deacons, absolutely. And isn't it interesting, that's not what deacons in the church do. What do deacons in the church do? Give the pastor a hard time. Give the pastor a hard time. And they, they give the money out. But do you ever know them to go around and ask for money? I was a deacon. You make some quiet calls. You let a need be known to certain people that you know can help with the need. But to go to to everybody, to go around among the people on Friday evening to make sure that everybody's got food that will suffice for a week. And that really seemed to be the bellwether. And it, it gives us the difference between tzedakah and chesed. We'll get to that in a second. Isn't that the, the story of Ushpizin? Like the, because it's basically the community's charity commission com- committee people that, that kind of randomly picked that household. And, yeah. And, but to, just to see how that blessed them and, and the uh, interworkings of that community style is amazing. It is. It, and it, 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 it makes you long for being so tight-knit that you know everything that's going on and everybody helps everybody else. It's a a cool deal. And that is a complete paradigm shift where we are today where you don't care about your neighbors. The the people on your block or in your mile and a half radius, you don't know why you want to distribute to them. But whereas in the the context of the Torah and modern-day Israeli Orthodox lifestyles is where they're the ones. Right. I mean, that's it would the, be the ones right next door. Right. That's exactly right. The food deal is important. The food is is the key. That's how they determined whether we're talking about chesed or tzedakah. If you had enough food for a week, Shabbat Shabbat, Shabbat, Shabbat you're good to go. If you didn't have enough, two meals a day, by the way, if you didn't have enough for that day, for a meal, then you go to the soup kitchen. You and you show up, they're gonna feed you. Why? So I don't have enough to eat. They'll feed you. No questions asked. But if you've got enough food for the week, well then you're okay. Transient, coming through town. Is he part of this deal? Nope. No. The coupon was only for the people of the town. 
We're going to keep our people fed for the week. We've got poor among us. We're going to feed them. It's a transient. Just passing through town. He's hungry. Going to feed him? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Rev Penshank is there it is. <laughs> We're going to feed you. You got no place for your Come eat at my house. Right. Another We're going to feed you. Another blessing. Right. I mean, in, in Jerusalem to, today, they have a group of people in the old city that their whole job is to find homes for people who are there visiting or traveling through or whatever. Uh, uh, find a home where they can go celebrate Shabbat. Is that cool? That Ari opens yeah. up his, his yeah. home all the time. He's he'll, amazing. He'll get a phone call from the Shabbat coordination. From those warden group, guys. Right? <laughs> and they'll say, can you, can you, do can you take two more? Can you, can you take an extra person? Uh, you know, Tova, can we take a, I don't know, another blessing? Another yes. blessing. Okay, I'm sending three. <laughs> <laughs> and they show up at his house for Shabbat. There it is. The Tzedakah wardens. I mean, yeah. that's beautiful. Yeah. To me, that's beautiful. <laughs> So it's interesting. The sages tell a story. That if if you have enough to 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 eat that day, then you're not allowed to go to the soup kitchen. You can't get the free meal, right? So the the, the food for the week is what you're looking for because then you weren't poor. You were maybe just a little step above poor, but you weren't poor. And they, uh, they contrast it with Shabbat. You have two meals a day, they say. But how many meals on Shabbat? It's three meals on Shabbat. Because it's different. It's a blessing, right? The story says to the poor man, treat Shabbat like any other day. Hmm. If you don't have enough to have three meals on Shabbat because you're poor, it's okay. Don't go looking for charity to get the third meal on Shabbat. Treat Shabbat like any other day. Meaning work on Shabbat if you need Not to. work, but don't, don't eat the meals. Right. Oh, don't, okay. don't don't eat more than has been provided for you yet. Right. Until God provides more. Community pressure causes those who are stingy to give more. I have a question before we move on. Yeah. Um, the whole going from the eve of Shabbat to the eve of Shabbat to collect from other people. It seems to me like... It was right before Shabbat started. It was before Shabbat started Absolutely. and after no. Shabbat ended. No, it was only Friday. Friday. It was Friday evenings. I know it's written weird, okay. but it's old. It's the it's old-time English. I, I heard the rabbi um, describe... Friday evenings they'd go around and gather money. Friday evenings they'd make sure everybody was covered for gotcha. for the week to come. Okay. And they wouldn't do it. I was thinking it was like well, how Yeah, not, not during Shabbat. No. You know, do that whole Paul taking up a collection of Shabbat. <laughs> um, if the tzedakah is not known, how can it be for something that's community wide? How can there be pressure on folks? to not be stingy unless the needs were known. That's not chesed, that's tzedakah. Yeah. Yeah, um, on this whole issue of Sabbath, yeah. uh, in your view, can you give tzedakah or chesed on Shabbat? Um, I think that life trumps Shabbat. 
I, I don't I don't think that I would give money uh, on Shabbat. I would I would get creative. If somebody's hungry, I'm going to feed them. Um, I I don't. But I don't think there's a need that that arises. Maybe it's not life threatening, but there's some level of urgency to it, and it can only be solved by money. Money. And it has to be solved on Shabbat. Yes. I don't think there's going to be the Torah. Directly against that, because your your only thing will be like commerce. That's yeah, I'm. You know, I would I would leave it at life trumps Shabbat, and a man and his welfare and his family to me, and I think in the Torah bears it out is more important than Shabbat. Yeah. So, I think when we do want to turn your head because I don't want to know because the Shabbat deals. I, I, I think we're getting into the Pharisaical. Right. Um, yeah. Something, something's wrong. Well, it's, it's, to me, it's it's somewhat likened or akin to healing on Shabbat. Yeah. So I, yeah. Well, that's why I say now life. You know, it, if it's life and death, there's, there's no question. But I mean, but, but, but if, really if somebody has to pay their rent, die. If right. somebody had to pay their rent, or they're going to get evicted. And he didn't come to us until after we lit candles on Friday night. Right. I gotta give it to the to the uh, to the guy tomorrow morning. I, I I would have a serious sit down with him and say, right. "You couldn't tell us twenty minutes ago. Right. You had to wait." I didn't want to interrupt the blessing. Okay, fine. Yeah, what if know. he was a churchgoer? Who cares? Yeah, I don't. Who cares? Yeah, I don't. Again, creator If 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 we focus on looking at the Jewish communities now and in the past to see what their practices were. And we make the assumption that they got it from the Torah, and then we practice and look back and go look at the Torah, and I think we can get some answers for ourselves today. Their practice was, tzedakah was for their community. God has not provided me with enough money to feed all the people in Biafra, but he may have provided enough money for me to make sure there's no hungry people on this street that there's no hungry people in my community. So, the fact that he's a churchgoer is irrelevant to me. Is he part of my community? Is he in my sphere of influence? God may have caused him to have hardship so that he can give me the opportunity to bless him and influence him towards the mitzvah. Could be. If he lives in California and, you know, it's another issue, you know, I'm going to feed the guy. What's cool about what you're talking about is that it incents people to want to be a part of a community. Precisely. Because they know that communities take care of each other, so there would be no reason why you wouldn't be a part of one. And, and not only that, I'm looking at, I'm, I'm assuming you're, because I can be cared for, but the other side as well. You know, and when you have a, a, you know, a big household, I think you'll look at the other side of it as well, and you may be now, I'm not saying you're not, but that... I get to take care of others. You know? I Now, I don't have to worry about, I've got money in the bank, I, oh, gee, I wonder what God wants me to do with it. I don't have to wonder about that anymore. I know exactly what He wants me to do with it. People show up all the time, and I know exactly where the needs are. Should I get them to Africa or Istanbul? Yeah, you know, well, these guys really don't want the Torah, and they're a Bible-based mission, so... 
I've got people right here that can't pay the rent. I've got people right here that would, would love to have just a little bit more so they could buy a, a Tanakh. You know, yeah, community is beautiful. I think the other thing, you know, comes up is, again, kind of defining community, right? Because, I mean, even if we look at Bellatora, right, you know, there's a core community. And I think for the most part, we all know who those core, who the core people in the community are. Then there's people that I would say are on the peripheral, the fringes, right? So they are kind of in the community. They they're they're not consistent really in their participation. They show up sometimes, sometimes not. You know, whatever the case may be, right? Um, and then there, and but then there's, there's, and then but there's, there's another there's, ring beyond that, right? And then there's a third ring, which are people that really aren't in the community but have a connection through somebody, right? And and they show up when they need something. Yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well well not not just that, but I mean just well, they have, they have a they need. They have a hardship and they show up. They show up. Or right? they're hungry, so they come for own it. You know, and so and here's the thing. The thing is you know, for those people that are one could characterize, and, and I'm not, I'm not saying this. You know, every situation is unique, but one could characterize somebody who just shows up when they need something as basically taking advantage of, you know, of the community in that regard, right? So then, how do we, how do we respond? You know, and and I think it's important that we understand that, well. It may or may not be true that in a case like that, somebody is sort of kind of taking advantage of the community. Um, my personal and current view is that we've got to help them mm-hmm. because whether they're taking advantage of our charity or not is really irrelevant. Mm-hmm. What's relevant is people are looking at us and they're saying, these guys are the ones that say they keep, the, you know, they follow the commandments of God and they do what God says. Which, you know, and the first time we don't help somebody, what have we done? We have now not sanctified the name. We have, you know, we have disparaged the name in, 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 um, among people. Let me let me give you my current view because um, you and I have, have talked about this in the past. Um, my current view now is. It doesn't matter how big the core is. Because no matter how big that core is, we'll always have that ring around it. Absolutely. And we'll always have that fringe around that outside ring. Yeah. Always. Right. It doesn't matter how big it is. And I believe that's by God's design. People are people. People are going to be that way. They don't want to commit. They don't feel comfortable. But they do know a good heart when they see one. And they'll come to where they can get help. And I'm with you 100%. We need help because yeah. God's going to bless. People are going to see His name's going to be praised. It's as right. simple as that. So it doesn't matter how big we are, and we shouldn't say, "Well, we're only this big. We really can't afford to do that." We can afford not to do that because that's our or job. We, that's or, why or we're we here. Can't say, "Well, they're not in the core, right?" So therefore, we right. we we you know prioritize. <laughs> well, these guys did prioritize, the, right? They, so they made they, a difference right. between the Koopa. And the chesed, right. okay? And I've got the word in, in a second here for the food. Right. Food was big for these guys, and I got you. 
But I, I want you to recognize that that's how they made the distinction. Right. Now we're going to get into a minute here. What? How often do you just keep giving the guy a meal? Shouldn't there, isn't there something else you can do? And the answer is yes, and they've got an answer for that. But I want you to make, I, I got this one up so we, we understand. If they're part of the community, we're going to feed them for a week. We're going to make sure they're covered. If they're passing through, maybe they're on the fringe, we're going to feed them for that meal. Right. Want, to, want the next meal? Come back for that meal. Right. right. And here's an awesome testimony. Just bless you so much. My brother-in-law um, in back in, in Houston, Texas, his grandmother, uh, who was brought to America from the USSR by the uh, U.S. Jewish Federation or something like that, mm -hmm. they paid for her plane ticket, paid, paid for her expenses to come to America. And so she, she came to Houston, Texas. And uh, so they, they brought her here, that helped her get established here, helped pay for English classes, you know, and her, her son was, our family's on food support, things like that. And periodically throughout her life, um, they, they would, they would uh, just meet some needs that, 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 that came up. And later on, towards the end of her life, they paid for her to go, go to a Jewish retirement home. Wow. And when she, she died just a few months ago, the entire funeral expense, everything from the service, the rabbi who came, uh, the everything was paid for by the Jewish Fe Federation of America for a lifetime, literally, for this one cool individual. And and, uh, and and just to think of that that uh, life goal of, of blessing someone throughout the entire livelihood and for their existence was I mean, just talk about a strong testimony. Amen. Right? Yeah, and and it's you considered her part of the community, right. no matter where she was. Right. That's great. Yes, this may be for afterwards, but just as a question, I, I've, since we're talking about whether we should give money in certain cases and, and almost trying to um, stay away from categorizing people like that, I was just wondering, because I have heard an argument against the whole money thing that a worker is worthy of his wages, so should it even be money in charity cases, like with people coming, showing up and being like, oh, I need money for this, I need money for that, should that be more... If you have work for them to do that you can pay them to do, that's, that's, that's certainly a, a way to do it. That's, that's my next. That's it. my next slide. Oh. The the no, it's great. And, and, you know, again, back to the food. That is the basic need. Right. Somebody's hungry. Maybe this we're isn't. This isn't. Oh, I really need the iPhone five, guys. We're gonna get into that. Now, hang on. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, don't be digging me on that. <laughs> My son's already pressuring me there. Collection bowl. But, but the idea here is this is for basic sustenance. Precisely. And and again, I, I mean, I'm harping on that. I want to make sure we get shelter. Food was the number one thing that has always down in you know, the past thousand years. That's 1500, almost 2000. That's what they're using. That's the bellwether. Are you hungry? The guy says, "I'm hungry." Then I'm feeding you. Not an option. You don't have the option. God just brought a man over your doorstep and said he's hungry. Baby, he's at your table. You feed him. Now, where do we go from there? He needs money. He wants money. Give him a job. And I was surprised at what they recommend beyond that. The next step. I think you'll like it. To whom do we give? 
Now, I'm listening to a, a Chabad rabbi um, teach this class uh, online, and he said this word, this is T-A-M-C-H-U-I, for those of you in Denver, uh, he's, he, he said Tamchoy. It wasn't Tamchui, which I would have said being from New York. Tamchoy, or food collected from the community, is distributed to the poor daily. Well, where, where do you read that? In the apostolic writings. Acts. Somebody say Acts chapter Four, 5, five. right? Acts chapter 5. Kupa, we just had that in the last one, right? That my money just came up with. Money for the poor is distributed on Fridays for the whole week. Because, right? We go around to those that can give, and we give to those who need. When do we do that? As a blessing. The blessing of giving and the blessing of receiving right before Shabbos. So, so that the poor person can rest easy. Precisely. Exactly right. right? So the Tamchoy was available to any poor person. Food. Tamchoy for any poor person. While the Kupa funds were available only to the poor of that city. City authorities have the flexibility to transfer from one fund to another or to any purpose that they see fit, according to Bhagavatra 8a. Okay? So, again, the, the, how, how are we, who, are we, who are we picking here? It's from the Shulchan Aruch again, both of these. Whoever has food enough for two meals may not take from Tan Koi. Why? He's, he's got a day's worth of food, two meals, right? He's covered. So he can't have that food. This is, the Tan Koi is like, the, like the, uh, the food bank, the soup kitchen. He can't go in there because he's already got food. And of course, I'm sure, I'm sure in the Talmud they get into what constitutes a meal. Absolutely. Sure. <laughs> Whoever has food enough for 14 meals, how long is that? It's a whole week. But only if you count two meals on Shabbat. That's where I was coming from before, right? If you're poor, that third meal and reveling in Shabbat is not for you yet. Food enough for 14 meals may not take from the kupa. Right? So it's different, right? He can't. If you got enough for two meals or a day, you can't take from the food. If you got enough food for 14 meals, you can't take from the money. Koopa. Whoever has 200 zoos, this is annual, right? Uh, is not using them in and is not using them in business. Or if he has 50 zoos with which he is doing business, may not take any tzedakah. So what is it saying? The Shulchan Aruch here in Yerei Dea 253.1 is saying if they're distinguishing between how much money you've got and whether or not you own a business. I was surprised that so much of the Shulchan Aruch was geared towards setting somebody up in business. If you got $200 in the bank, or whatever this represents annually, if you've got this amount of money in the bank and you're not using it in a business, if you've got that much in savings, you're not considered poor. They had a little line drawn in the sand. If you're under the poverty line or over the poverty line. But if you've got only 50, much less than the annual money, you've got 50, but it's churning in your business and you're making money with it, then you're not poor. See how they're trying to figure out, wait a second, Isaac, you got a job, man. Or, you know, Craig, you, you, you own a company here and you're making money. So they could give the arms deal. There are those who say that these sums listed as this is, uh, again, Shulchan Aruch, 
listen as eligibility requirements were set only for their day. But that today, someone can take until he has enough for a sum which he can invest in a business and sustain his household from the profits. The Shokan Aruch says this is a persuasive position. To give the guy money so that he can start a business. Because they knew. It's the whole feed the guy fish, teach him to fish kind of thing, right? They knew the, the value of helping a guy start a business rather than working for someone else. It's got by Shlomo Halevi Wozner. This is uh, his response. Listen to this. It is elementary that someone who has a steady wage from which he can sustain himself comfortably may not take tzedakah. However, today, even someone with a steady wage sufficient to sustain himself will not find it enough to buy or rent an apartment in Israel. They're only possible to get at a high price. And don't we know that? Accordingly, such a person should be considered poor with respect to housing and permitted, permitted to take tzedakah. He lacks today's equivalent of 200 zoos. All is in accordance with the situation as halakhic decisors have made clear. So, what, what, the, what the good rabbi is saying is, it's not just a number. You got to look at the people. You got to look at the situation. He's making good money. Wants to make aliyah. There's no way, even though he's making good money, that he can actually buy a place in Israel. Or even rent it. Because the cost of housing there is so astronomical. Help them. 2011. Health and Human Services Poverty Guidelines. you got one person in the family, $10,890 a year income poverty. <laughs> you can't support yourself. They're saying it has to be... So even This is what the government says is the poverty line. I had a family of seven. If I made more than 33.8, I'm not in poverty. So if I'm making 40 grand with a family of seven, that's what the government says. They might not understand how much things cost. Maybe. I guess we look at their track for the government. They work for the government, that's right. Well, they're just giving money out anyway. Exactly. The, um, the rabbi made it clear that uh, these numbers, of course, do not include the purchase of kosher food and a Torah education, which every Jew is responsible for. So that you need to add to these numbers, and you'd still be considering them considering a problem. What? Kosher food, I tell you what. Yeah. <laughs> Double that number. Just add some lettuce. Yeah. So what about... Okay. Uh, what about a car? It's a privilege. Uh, it's a curse. <laughs> it's a curse. <laughs> How about computer and internet service? I mean, is it required for your job? Should you should you help somebody if they if they say, you know, I, I really I really want to get cable. What? <laughs> Time Warner's going to cut me off. <laughs> yeah. well, what do I do? You know? Well, how about how about Mr. Barkest is coming out? He's cutting me right, off. Well, a smartphone. What do they have? Cable and Netflix is not a problem. <laughs> See, 
Are these are these necessities, or are these the extras? Because I can tell you that there are people that will will put these as absolute necessities. Well, then you got to wonder where they're at. Car can be a necessity. It's possible because of employment. Possible, sure. But uh, uh, you know, computers, internet could. I I hate to call it a, a necessity, but it does make things easier. To, I mean, if, if the whole idea is to help a person make a business, to help him get help him get established, then those are some, especially the first three, are tools in which to equip him with. So, while, while they're definitely not necessary for life, you know, if, if the whole idea is to invest in a person, then I think that means helping him acquire things like that. And if we're going to try and help him establish a business, I couldn't agree more. But there are easier ways. Than the thousand dollar computer. Sure. Right. Yeah. If I had a unicycle, sell yeah. to a circus or something. I mean, sell so library. Are you making money now? Library <laughs> <laughs> cards are free too. Yeah. About an eight. <laughs> Here's a little story from uh, Rabbi Moshe Kalfan Hako Hakoet. Uh, again, as a you're right, uh, my f- teacher and grandfather Maharich of blessed memory was the head of the rabbinic court here. His way was to direct those in charge of the tzedakah fund that whenever they wished to put someone on the list of tzedakah recipients, they were to investigate if that person was able to do some kind of work or business. If so, he was to say to him that he would give him a lump sum to invest in his work or his business and so make a profit. Now, if you can do that to a Jew, it makes sense. But to a regular schmo from New York, maybe not. The poor person would be able then to derive continuous, ongoing benefit through the labor of his own hands. The congregation would also profit by not having to make continuous, ongoing outlays. Many tried this way and succeeded and no longer needed the congregation's funds. All this I heard from my father and teacher, Maharshak of Blessed Memory. Examine carefully what our master of Blessed Memory wrote in Yore Da'a, 249.6, there are eight degrees of charity, one higher than the next. The highest degree exceeded by none is strengthening the hand of a fellow who has become poor and giving him a present or a loan, or making a partnership with him, or making a job for him, giving him a job, so that he should be strengthened and not need others or have to ask for a handout. This is the meaning of the scripture, you shall strengthen him. It was this superior level level of tzedakah that my teacher and grandfather of blessed memory chose, and so it is proper to do, following in his footsteps for the good of the poor and for the good of the congregation, fulfilling the mitzvah of tzedakah in the best and most proper fashion. I don't care if you agree with him or not. But the mindset is completely different from the way our government is today. Our government wants to give money. He wants to give an investment or at least to give a job. I'm not sure who to believe, but it does appear to me, at least at this point, that our current president has actually removed the need to look for a job, let alone have one. Or to start your own company because you're not... Right. In order to receive any type of charity. So suppose a guy won't work. What's up with that? If the guy won't work, he's just constantly asking for charity. By the way, 
we were talking a, a, a little bit ago about the core, the ring, and then the fringe, the outsiders, if you will. Um, I'm always reminded now of the beggar, and I think he's the fiddler, in Fiddler on the Roof. At one point, uh, Tevye has some food or drink or something, and the, the fiddler comes up to him and goes, mm, and he gives him some. That, I think, should be our regular response. The guys constantly ask. But still. Exodus 23.5 If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. Um, now the with him is in the um, English Standard Version. In some of the other versions, it doesn't actually say with him, but that's actually the meaning of the text. And the sages jump on this, big time. And with regard to tzedakah and chesed, this is big here. It's supposed to be a team effort. If the donkey goes down, and the neighbor just sits there and waits for you to walk by, and says, <coughs> you got a little mitzvah there, but you're the one who's committed to do it. That's the attitude that is in It's supposed to be a team thing. So the uh, there's two ways we could look at someone who won't work. One way. Smack him. Hey, buddy, get a job. Look at you. You're holding a sign. Hello, get a job. Yeah, I got wood to cut. Want to cut wood? Come cut wood. I'll pay. I'll feed you. What's the other one? Stop No, no, no. The other, the other response <laughs> to the poor man who doesn't want to work. Not do anything. What's the response? Shine. Huh? I mean, if you, I mean, one, one response he, is to just you turn away. If right? you shun him or you turn away, that's the same as saying to him, "Hey, get a job, bud." That's, that's the same. Hey. What, what's the opposite side of it? You're either going to shun him and not help him, or you're going to help him. You're going to help him, even though you know he's not going to work. Right. And it's a regular thing. How do you? How do? How do we fix that tension? Should you help the guy who won't work? Should you give tzedakah to someone who refuses to work? Yes, because it's very similar to the case with the unbelieving husband and the wife, okay. who is just always faithful, and eventually it leads him to repentance and... Without a word. Right. Good, good response. So you're leaning that way. Is that the only way you should never shun a guy? It depends on what your intention with the shunning. If it's a temporary shunning in order to get him to work... <laughs> Who can argue the opposite side? The side of shunning? Yeah, or, or telling the guy to, you know, I mean, get off his desk. If, if you don't work, you don't eat. So, ah. so, and, and Give him scripture, not food. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that and, and what people will work when they get hungry enough, or they'll rob someone and go into jail and, and get three meals a day. Which also so, is in the scripture. <laughs> exactly. Lord, please provide for me so I don't have to resort to stealing, right? right. And Proverbs also says that uh, people are understanding of a thief, unless he's caught. Unless he's caught. And then, 
<laughs> then he has no hand. <laughs> he has no hand, right. Here's uh, Kelly Yakar, his commentary on this. This tells you that if someone wants to be with you in his work and wants to put it back up right together with you in the donkey fellow, you're required to help him. But if he sits down and says, you alone obligated by the Torah to help, it's your job to do it all, that is the reason why the Torah says, refrain from helping him. Remember, the, uh, the text says here, right, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. Right? So this whole refrain from this, that's, he's picking up on that and saying that's why it says that, because there is a time when you're permitted to refrain from helping if he doesn't want to join you in the work. Because the word actually says, with him. This speaks to a few of our poor fellow Jews who throw themselves on the public and do not want to do any work, even if they're able to work or feed their families in some other way. They cry foul if their needs are not met. Sounds like some of the people on subsistence today or some type of social program that's going to be decreased slightly, not eliminated, but just decreased, and they're crying foul. This, however, is not what God commanded. He said, help along with him. Raise it up along with him. The poor person must do all that is within his power. And if even that is not enough to meet all his needs, then every Jew is obligated to support him and give him all he lacks. Azov, ta'azov, even a hundred times. Just as an anecdotal point on this issue, um, there was actually, I think, a news report in Israel. I didn't see it. I was told about it, where there was an interview, or they, they discussed beggars who were actually like millionaires. And I can test in my own eyes, having seen, um, you know, a beggar who also is later spotted talking on a cell phone, I think, more than once. Seen driving off in a scooter more than once. Not sure who loans their scooter to a beggar, since it's only a one-person vehicle. Is this in Israel or is this here? This is in Israel. Yeah, because we got the same going on with the guys with the signs. So my point being is that... Um, Put your airbrush on their shirt. The, ar- the argument that um, everyone who's begging is needy is not true. And I think that... I don't think that we're obligated to help people be lazy. But on the other hand, I think that... The, I guess my approach when I was in Israel was usually... I'd kind of give the guy, if, I, if it was a complete stranger, I'd, I'd be inclined to give an eyeball test. If it was an older person, if it was someone who looked sickly or injured, if it was someone who, if I looked at them, I thought, you know, they probably have a real hard time getting a job, I'd be more inclined to give. If it was a guy my age, I was like, come on. <laughs> what was that, jo- what was that uh, movie about uh, India where they were maiming the kids so that they could beg more? so sad. The eyeball test does work. So... I, yeah, that's I, not what you mean. Uh, no, not you literally. Not literally. I don't look. No, no, no. Eyes. He's doing the eyeball test. He's trying to figure out. I mean, yes. Does he look? But I'm not gouging out people's eyes. Right. <laughs> so this is one sided, right? I mean, we're commanded to help, but this guy's giving a perspective of, hey, they gotta help. Themselves. They gotta help themselves. Uh, and let's go. Uh, I, I, don't know, I mean, I've spent a little bit of time, not as much as I would like to, in the Charlotte Men's Homeless Shelter. And yeah. you see a lot of that. I mean, people that, uh, they, when you've been on the streets and you've been in that environment for so long, you're acclimated to it. That's, you you that's have no incentive to get out. Right? You, right. you, you've never known anything else, really, outside of that. And um, and, it, and, it, and they fit into that category. Have we not done them a disservice yes. by expecting nothing? I think that we promote an anti-Torah lifestyle yeah. and a poor self-esteem right. rather than right. lifting them up. 
and and I'm not sure so much it's that we've given them more than their needs are I think providing for the, I mean the, the, the Charlotte men's homeless shelter is by no means immaculate and it works for them but really to me the sad part is like you see these guys um, who they, they've they've given up asking for jobs because in every form you fill out the first thing they ask you for is the address right. and you find the street you don't have an address and, and there's that mental block that I mean I've asked you know as so many fast food restaurants hey can I just take the trash out and they all say no well, I think that's the sad part. It's where people aren't willing to give them opportunities to a certain extent. I mean, for, with all the franchises and whatnot. And, and we are right. the people. Exactly. Like you said before, give the guy a job. Right. Right. Which is a so, Yeah. So I, I think we should be providing opportunities with, and not forsaking the, that they actually do need a place to sleep and they do need food and whatnot, but that, that we're not supposed to hold them there. You know, we are the to to strengthen them and to help them get out. Exactly. So, moving from this verse in Exodus 23 to the Kelly-Yakar's commentary, where do you think the Jewish community as a whole, past and present, falls with regard to this command to help? Do you think they wisely look for the response and the assistance and the willingness to jump in themselves and they're going to help them? Or do you think they just give? Or do you think they shun them? And the follow-up, of course, is what do you think our community does and what should we do? I think they help. I mean, I think you've actually even shared a testimony before where you get a call from the rabbi because a new Jew showed up in town and needs work. And he's willing to do anything. Right. And he's got maybe he's got some IT background or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And he's Joseph, willing to do anything. Can he do anything yeah. for you? Yeah. yeah. So there's an example where the rabbi is trying to help this he's trying to strengthen this guy by helping him find work. Exactly right. And I, I see that as the norm. Right. At least here in this community, the one I'm, I'm closest to. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, even secular Jews, I mean, the Levine family is the best example. I mean, they've donated, I mean, they put millions of dollars into the community college service here. I mean, and oh, being the campus being a, right here. Exactly. Sure. Being a product of it, I mean, they're, they're, they're definitely providing for, in some ways, a, a better lifestyle that, than that person you know can, can now have and uh, and just public services in, in general that's the way that this that they've reached out to the greater Charlotte area other than just the, the Jewish right right you know, so. yeah but but I, I do think I mean that's it is tight-knit and it and the Jewish community is, is does look out for itself very well I would say at the least they err on the side of generosity I don't know honestly I can't tell of any stories of "Quote unquote shunning," although I suppose it always happens too. Mm-hmm. But um, if it happens, it doesn't seem to be their norm, because we all have stories of where they're helping. Uh, yeah, and there's an enormous amount. I mean, Jewish philanthropy is is world renowned. It is. And um, even though there are also a lot of poor Jews too, it doesn't right. it doesn't mean that they stabilize it any, by any means. But um, I can't help but think of the story of uh, Rabbi Shlomo Karlbach. Um, he it's told of him that when he would give 
tzedakah, when he'd be on the streets of New York, he tried to make sure he always gave at least $5 to the person who was begging, mm -hmm. because he wanted to make sure that they had, um, it was a respectable sum they could do something with. Right. And then it was interesting, that st the stories that goes on to say that after he died, the beggars showed up to mourn him, like at the synagogue. Uh, which is an incredible testimony. It is sad that there were still beggars, <laughs> but yes, yeah. it is. It is a testimony. It's, it's yeah. unbelievable that we should be known for that. I think is is a good thing. As I as I walked through this whole material, I was I was just taken by the fact that it wasn't seen as a one off. It wasn't just you're hungry. Here's ten dollars. Go hit Burger King. It wasn't that. It was an opportunity. They saw it as an opportunity. Abraham was known. His tents were always open. People were coming in. I want us to have that reputation. You come to the door, you're hungry. I'm not going to give you money to go someplace else to eat. Come in, sit down at my table, and eat my food. Do you have enough money? What's going on? To give him a job, or better, if he's part of the community, invest in him to set him up in a business? We don't think that way, guys, and that's extraordinary. Well, here's the flip side of the coin, the Midrash from Vayikra uh, Rabbah. The poor man comes up to the rich man and says to him, Give me mitzvah, or tzedakah. The rich man does not give, and he says to that poor man, Why don't you go and exert yourself and do some work? Get a job, dude! <laughs> Look at your legs, look at your belly, look at your fat flesh, chubby. You're not missing a bunch of meals, are you? The Blessed One, the Blessed Holy One says, It wasn't enough that you didn't give him a thing, but you had to put an evil eye on what I gave him. Therefore you will not leave over a penny to your son, and you will cause a defect in yourself. Chills. The one before this was just some Rabbi Shmo. This is the Midrash. <laughs> well, you, you go with everyone you want, but... Well, and, and we, we have a Midrash in the Apostolic Scriptures that kind of bears this out, right? The rich man and Lazarus. And Lazarus. Exactly. And the rich man refused to help him. And what you know we saw at the end of that. He burns. Exactly. So, I, I think that there's wisdom and stewardship involved, and I think that we would all agree that Jews have a, a reputation for handling money well and being shrewd in business. That's just generically, I would say that those are truisms about Jews in general. Why? I think because they read the Torah. And, and, they, and they work based on a set of values and principles that are long ago ingrained in them, even the secular ones. Uh, okay, because that's what I was, was going to say. It's probably the 24th chromosome, because there's a lot of Jews that are pr pr pretty successful that haven't read any Torah. But still, well, there's, there is the blessing of Abraham, because they are members of the tribe. Exactly. And you know what? So irrespective of their level of righteousness, they are benefactors of his merits. And they may have had a father or grandfather who spent a great deal of time studying the Torah, practicing tzedakah, 
praying to the most holy one, stuff like that. The bottom line is, is then you have the Bernie Madoffs of the world. Too. Yeah, right. You know, but still, you don't get to be a Bernie Madoff unless you're at least good with money. <laughs> so, or go with other people's money. That's right. That's right. <laughs> or so, a thief. <laughs> all of those together could really work. Um, but I, so let's just recap here. The the key for um, or guidelines for for this should be food. Food, food seemed to be an overwhelming deal. When we're talking about tzedakah or chesed, are you hungry? And, and if the answer to that is yes, we have an immediate obligation to fulfill and, and give them the meal. Um, their, their use of food and enough food for X number of days, seven, um, was the bellwether on whether or not you could take some of the finances that had been gathered within their community. If you were passing through, you didn't have any access to those finances. All you got was food, food for that day. On you go. The idea being, we are our brother's keeper, especially within the community. We should know what's going on. We should be prepared to help. And we should desire to help. We should remember that tzedakah and chesed are the means of wealth distribution that we talked about two weeks ago. Yeah. The distinction is hunger. If they're hungry, you feed them. If they're hungry, you don't investigate anything about whether or not they've got money in the bank or anything like that. If they're hungry, you feed them. Yeah, exactly. You have all of the Presbyterians. If a poor person whom no one knows says, I'm hungry, feed me, we do not investigate to see if he's genuine, but rather feed him immediately. That's the wrong I like that, because if you're investigating, are you casting an evil eye? Exactly. Yes. Exactly. You're hungry? Come sit down. Here's a place right. Well, I, I think I think the, the the wisdom here is look, if if the beggar on the street is really playing, he's really not in need and he's just he's preying on people's good graces for right. his own personal gain. Um he will he will he'll get justice at some point. Right. And, and oddly enough, we can't, Tadaka we don't, we is don't need justice. to worry about whether we're being played or not, because if we're being played, then, then you're playing with the wrong one. Right. He, he's he's going to get played at some point. Exactly. Way. And if he's genuine, then we need to be helping him anyway. Period. Yeah. So it, it's it's interesting that uh, most of the guys with the signs don't want food. No. They want money. Uh, Rabbi Elchanan ben Yaakov. On, uh, this is in uh, Masei Hatzadah. Someone who has a tree and the strength to work and does not is like a wealthy person who starves himself. But we do not give him his livelihood. However, it is forbidden to shame him, and it seems correct to give him a little bit. If, however, he lacks the psychological stamina to work, we do give him his livelihood. I think these two are a pretty good balance for the two opposing extremes that we went through in the past two sets. Mm-hmm. 
psychological stamina. Yeah. I just, I, it's, it's so hard for me to get up and actually go to work every day. I, I would tend to think that's more inclined to deal with people who have actual mental disabilities. Um, it may be, but... Then I noticed that like when I was in Israel, that's one of the first things you pick up on is that I'll probably, I, w- I would wager to guess that three-quarters of the legitimate beggars are either elderly, crippled, or injured severely, or mentally unstable. Like, there's just not, they're just not all there. Yeah, but those are not the people that have the strength to work and don't. They can't work. This is talking about the guy who you just, you know he can do better, but you just, I think it's really cool how that sort of reflects the way that we would desire our Father in Heaven to respond by giving us a free gift and not recu- like investigating us lest we be found out. Fail, fail the chance. Exactly, yeah. Just see that we're all sinners and we fall short. Exactly. But that is just a perfect picture there that he, he doesn't do that. He will save us regardless of our past and that's sort of our approach to charity. It's mm-hmm. I, I don't even care where you've come from or where you're going. I'm just going to help you at this moment. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing that comes, the other thought that comes to mind is, you know, we in the beer cuts, right? What do we what do we say? We say, make us not needful of the gifts of human hands, video. nor of their loves. but only of your hand, right? And so if we we take that to heart, right, then our goal individually for our families is not to take Zadaka from a community, right? right? In other words, our goal should be not to be a burden on anybody. That's right. Um, Whereas our goal... You know that's that's the goal for ourselves, but our goal towards others is where do I give, right? right. So there's this kind of natural. It, it's almost somewhat oxymoronic, you know, in that if everybody in the community is taking the view of their goal in life is to not be a burden on anybody else in the community, it's but at the same community. time we're all standing in line ready to give. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's beautiful. All right. Questions? Last question. Down away from like the, you know, 100th floor to the ground, you know, story here. Um, if uh, I, I have a friend of mine who's his makes it his uh, mission. If he, if he's driving on whatever street and he sees someone with a sign, he'll most of the time give them just food, um, and he'll, he'll actually come up and ask them, "Hey, is, you know, I, I don't, I can't give you any money, but it's okay if I give you something to eat." They almost always say yes. And if it's not, if he doesn't have anything in his car, he'll go to a fast food or a sandwich and, and, and bring it back. But where where do you think um, being as if if we're keeping kosher, right? So we, we, we don't go to McDonald's to get hamburger meat anymore because it's not not kosher. And maybe going to Subway to get a turkey sandwich with the cheese on it. I mean, we don't do that. Would we? Give that to someone else on the street, uh, just just as a as a putting it on the back of your car. Halachic, really? Um, granola bars. Okay. 
He's got a box of granola bars so that he can do exactly that without having to violate kosher or lead someone down another path. I think it's, right. I think it's beautiful. I'm proud of him. That's a great idea. But I would say this. If somebody's hungry, feed Ka- Kashrut mm-hmm. goes, out, goes the out the window if somebody's truly hungry. Mm-hmm. Feed right? I mean, if you have kosher food... Right. That's readily available. Give them kosher. Yeah, go to Subway. But if you don't, order the meat with no cheese, yeah, yeah. or the vegetarian side, yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. But if you all, if all you have is unkosher food, and the guy's hungry, he's eating unkosher food, and I'm happy to give it to him. I think the uh, the idea here is uh, it, it, what I want you to come away with is we should not be practicing chesed from a charity perspective among the community. That should not be. We would be practicing tzedakah within the community. If there's somebody in our community that needs charity, I think we've already messed up. We're, we're already beyond where we should have been because we should have known sooner, and we should be helping them in a greater way and in a better way. Um, I think the charity uh, aspects are more outside the, the community, and and that's where we need to be creative, especially in our in our world having granola bars so that you can provide food. And I think food is probably the best thing to provide since it's what our sages have used as the measure of the need for chesed. And yeah. I was actually just going to ask because I've been struggling with this back and forth. The And this could be a different discussion or, or, or anything like that, but I've, I've found it tricky to try to balance the safety of my family and guarding my home with providing an open door for poor people. Because as you just described, the categories of poor people, in some cases, it's not the most safe situation. And so I just, it's, and and then even put on top of that is just the distance between everything. I mean, even for us, we live so far away from everything. It would not only be inviting someone over for a meal, it would be driving them back and forth from a street corner, basically, because we don't live anywhere close to anything like that. I just wanted to know if, if anybody had any thoughts or... Well, I've got two right off the top, um, and I'll let you go. Um, the first is um, to provide a meal does not necessarily require that you bring them back to your home if it's 20 miles away. Um, that, that may be totally uh, out of whack. Um, if they're homeless... Um, does it really matter if they're homeless a block from you or homeless 20 miles from you? You know, you can bring them the 20 miles and just leave them there. You know, it's homeless is homeless. Um, but if they need the meal, you know, you, you can drive through the drive-thru and hand them the meal. Yeah. You can give them your phone number. Um, you can give them your address, you know, that kind of thing. But I think a handgun is a real good idea <laughs> in, all, in all cases. A couple of quick points on this, because um, living in Jerusalem... One of the things I was going to notice that you end up running into a lot of the same beggars over and over and over again, and especially for those of us who have, if you have a commute to work that goes up uptown, if you go to school up there, or if you if you drive past the same street corner all the time. Um, so one of the things, guys. one of the things that um, that I did when I was there is a couple times, not that often, maybe more, not as many other times as I should have, I made sandwiches and I go around and I hand out to some of the guys that I see out there. Mm-hmm. Or you know, I think Rosh Hashanah, I had like a bazillion apples that I wasn't going to eat, so I went out and you know distributed them to the people out on the street mm-hmm. corner or whatever else. And that's one way you can do that with like food. You can remember okay, who's here and go to them. Um, with regards to how to invite people, um, the only time I did that in Jerusalem was um, I, I had 
I had a real strong divine inspiration that I needed to have a guy over at my suka. So that seemed to be like a... Now, in your case with the apartment, it's more complicated, but for those of us maybe who have the opportunity to have a suka in like your backyard or outside, that's an excellent way to sort of build safety and charity because you don't invite someone into your home in the sense that you put your kids at risk or your wife at risk. You know, you have to walk out for a second and leave them alone in the room with your wife. But you do get a chance to actually bring them to you. So I had, I made sure I had a couple friends with me. It wasn't just me. And we had a guy over. The suka was in kind of like the open quad area outside of my apartment building. So along those lines, I mean, other options are things like you might be able to take them to a park area and, you know, have a picnic with them. Yeah. You can invite them to your grill section at your apartment. Or there's just a lot of different ways kind of to get more creative. Without actually going inside. Without necessarily bringing them mm-hmm. into your home. Now, now Yeshua does encourage us to bring the poor into our homes when he talks about, you know, setting the table for, um, you know, don't invite your rich friends who can pay you back, but those who can't. Um, so I'm not discouraging completely from that. Yeah, but I don't think he was, uh, I don't think that was intended to command us to bring the poor into our homes. Right. You couldn't eat outside. Well, yeah, I think, so. I think the key is, I, I would, I would definitely err on the side of safety on that one. There's, there's, now, there's no question. And I want to make sure that I'm clear about that, especially to you and to you. <laughs> right. you know, let's, let's just make sure we're clear. It has nothing to do with being a father-in-law. There are... Wait a minute. You too! <laughs> I'm on your side. That's right. Um, there, there, there are priorities to the commandments. And that should be without question. You have an obligation in certain regards... And they are prioritized. And there's no question. Caring for your wife and providing for her and, and, and protecting her is right near the top. And I believe it is far above tzedakah, right? So your care for her, for your children and all of that, providing that household and, and protecting them is really important. And a real quick contrast. Bring them here. Bring the poor people here. And a real quick contrast on... Then we'll both have handguns. We'll be okay. That's right. (laughs) See, I was going to say, there there are ways to do it that are positive and negative. I had a friend of mine in Israel who, um, he actually opened up his home to, like, troubled teenagers. And I think at one point he had, like, 40 teenagers living in his home. And it was just him and his wife, and they took care of them. Um, And he was, like, renowned for this. So that's one way maybe to do it the right way. He, he was in charge. He had a structure and a format that worked. He was inviting people that he thought he could control and that were going to be safe, that kind of thing. The, the contrast to that is the tragic story. I think it was Amy Smart. Her family was extremely generous, and they invited some random homeless guy to come stay with them, and he kidnapped their daughter, drug her out to the mountains, you know, had some sort of mock wedding with her, and then the, the FBI finally found them, like, you know, a couple, like a year and a half later or something awful like that. So that's the contrast, is that there are different ways to do it. And, I, and so I agree with you in saying that safety comes first. Yeah, otherwise your father-in-law will end up killing you. So, but, but then where we can, but there, but there are ways, and that's why I listed things like going to a park, like bringing food to them. Or, or, or going to somebody else's place, like here. Or having others with or, you. Or like, for example, let's say you're having a suka party. Right. You can invite them to this group event. Exactly. I mean, there's lots of exactly. opportunities to, to, to mix and to get that balance between what's safe and, and appropriate with your family and then also giving charity. And I think when you find that balance, then I think you're, that's especially pleasing to God. Amen. Well, and I think, yes. I think the other component that we can't overlook, because it's incredibly important, is 
we have to be uh, we have to have the discernment of God and the spirit of God directing us in some of these situations because I mean if you're talking to a homeless person and you feel you gotta check in your spirit and right to use the classical Christian terminology that person's not coming into my home a little red flag there you know um I'll find, you know, I'll try to find other ways to help, but they're not coming in my house. Send it you know? over to my house. What are you doing? <laughs> uh, so, you know, because there's there's con men out there mm-hmm. that can, that are professional, you know, professionals when it comes to playing whatever role they need to play. That's right. right? Grifters. And that's where we've got to, We we also have to, you know, uh, rely on the Spirit of God to give us discernment and to... And he promises to do that. I mean, the apostolic scriptures, the Master tells us with regard to this world, to the sons of this world, what do we need to be? Simple as doves? As innocent as doves, but wise as serpents. You know? So, we, we need to remember that you just... It's not all pie in the sky and everybody's not... Uh, and, not Craig, what was the name of that ministry that gives breakfast to the Inner city guys. It's that one. That's the particular. Well, there's another one. Yeah, the one in particular is called Church on the Street, and they just it's cots is the Mm -hmm. short version. They're the ones under the bridge that are cooking breakfast. Yeah, but it's not it's not an actual church. They're really just a bunch of guys that have been doing it for like 14 Mm -hmm. years. One guy there said he hasn't missed a Sunday morning in 14 years. Praise God. The coldest it's been out there was like five degrees, you know, yeah. sometimes it's scorching hot. It's, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, it's, it's so that, that's a great example of, of going to them. Exactly. But yeah. I think the idea is a great example. When you look at the master, he, he, in a sense, was homeless. He talks about not, you know, the foxes have holes, but the son of man is not. But, in it, but at the same time, it's interesting to note that you never see him bring anybody anywhere. I mean, he, he kind of, I guess there's some implication that he might kind of, because you have random poor people showing up at dinners with the rabbis and whatever else, like the, mm-hmm. you know, the woman who washes his feet and whatnot, but, um, there is... That's what, that was at a Pharisee song. Yeah. But so there's, there's, um, excuse me, examples of that, but in that, in so being, he, he made sure he went where they were first. Um, and we see this also with the apostles, um, going out. So I think that there, like I said, I, I really believe that there's a balance here and, um, just because we're encouraged to have people in our home doesn't mean that that becomes the only way to do it. Exactly. And I want to make sure that, uh, especially for your younger guys, that you recognize that while acts of loving kindness is expected of us, and, and we are astonished and lift up the guy who hasn't missed a Sunday morning feeding the poor, that doesn't mean we're all called to go run a rescue mission, and feed the poor every Sunday morning. Because you know what? That guy's not earning the money that buys the food that he's cooking. There's other guys who have different ministries that are supporting that ministry so that he can cook. 
There's somebody that's got to be learning and studying the Word of God to teach people so that we change the way we act towards the poor, so that we rightfully open our homes when appropriate, so that we understand what tzedakah is, and so on. So we need to recognize the sages that we have of blessed memory and some of the great men of faith uh, in the church are all famous for one or two awesome things. Not everything. We need to be doing it all, but we need to major in one or two of them. Um, I, I, I use uh, Greg here as an example. I mean, if, if you're looking for a guy who practices hospitality and is known for opening his home on a regular basis for Arab Shabbat, I mean, if, if, if you feel led to have a ministry like that, um, here's, here's the cookie cutter, right? I mean, this, this is the picture. You know, you open that up in the dictionary, it's up, you know? It's unbelievable. But my, my point is, do you find him under the bridge feeding the poor? No. Some of the poor are actually at his table. And he's, he may be giving to the people that are under the bridge. You see what I'm saying? There's, he's got a focus to his ministry, it, at least in this time in his life. His home is prepared, his family is prepared, and that's where they are ministering together. And as a dad, I would say one of the best things you can do is find a ministry that God leads you to do that includes as many of your family members as possible. Why do we have PKs and MKs, preacher's kids and missionary kids? Why, why do we have those? Why are they so wild most of the time? Most of the time, right? Why is that? Because the pastor's out there doing his, his mission work and his family's going to hell. Because he's just not there. Because it's his ministry and it's his focus and his family is not with him. I think that's wrong. I think the model's backwards. I just don't think it should be that way. And a lot of times, when we look back through the annals of Christendom, you see a lot of, a lot of examples like that, of rebellion or problems or family issues. Whereas if you look back through the sages, you know, they may not have had a lot of money, they may have been pretty dirt poor, but they've had some pretty amazing kids and their families. And, you know, it's, it's just extraordinary. So... That's not to say it's all the sages are great and all the church people are bad. That's not what I'm saying. But you know, I think there's some good examples there. One of the coolest examples I've heard of what you just said is was from Doug Phillips. And Pete yeah. lent me that audio. And it was so neat because he was describing his interaction when he was young with his father. Yeah. And how it was almost built into the homeschool curriculum that was taught to them. That they would be flying everywhere with their father. They'd be right there on stage with him when he would be giving speeches and stuff. They would be right there with him all the time. So that It's just a built-in paradigm. Exactly. He, he had a very successful career, still does, uh, I'm pretty sure. And his kids were right there with him. And yeah. they, they learned so much just from being with him. Exactly. Right. And he, was, he just included them in everything. And I think that is a professional example, but the same is true spiritually. Yeah that all of our ministries should include our children right there behind us. Yes. We're in front to protect them, but they're seeing exactly how it's supposed to work. Yeah. I, th I think as much as possible, if you can mix the business side, the professional side, and the spiritual side, um, you, you start to get to a nirvana where you've got it all together, where you're earning your keep, teaching them how to make that keep, and you're ministering to others at the same time. Okay, I think we've been along.
Good, good discussion. Very good. Very good indeed. Um, Bottom line, buy a handgun. I think it's important to have a handgun. It's always important to have a handgun. You know, you need. There's another show coming around. Oh, there is. You need, you need to you need to be able to protect uh, protect your family. Um, which reminds me, um, I am putting on a class for the ladies, or, or any wimpy guys that want to come. But you know, um, uh, mostly for the for the ladies, wives, daughters, sisters, whatever. Um, just basic handgun safety and familiarization. We're not going to go to the range right there. We're going to be right in here. We're going to use all kinds of laser beams and. Um, we'll have uh, you know a dozen guns here, no bullets. Right. I'm just gonna have them handle them, and see what they're like, open and close them, shoot them with with no bullets, and, and just become comfortable so that they feel familiar with it and, and all of that. <laughs> so if uh, just kind of get the buzz that? going. Hmm? When is that? Um, tomorrow, I'm, tomorrow I'm, morning. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I'm probably gonna try and do it sometime during Sukkot so that I can, if I can, I can. Kind of enjoy the Sukkot deal at the same time and get a double whammy. Yeah, but we are. You know, I mean, I have you know every kind of handgun and, 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 and shotgun and long gun and everything. Just so they're completely familiar with it. So that when they see one, they feel good about it, and they'll know how to teach their children how to react around a handgun. Um, cool. And so I think uh, it'll be fun. I mean, it'll be good, good for them. So. All of you guys are are, are licensed now. Concealed. Not legally. Mm-hmm. He has concealed. He has the concealed carry training. Training. You can't get them. And they're they're holding the permit for him. Because you have to be how twenty one. Is it twenty one? Twenty one. Twenty. You can own a handgun prior to that. You can own one at eighteen. You, you can, can own one at any time. Oh. You can buy one at eighteen, but you oh. can own one prior to that really? if it's given to you as a gift. Why do I have one? That's you can buy one at 18. Mm-hmm. Wow. I, you just can't carry it hidden anywhere. I think it's, I think it's 21 for a handgun. You can buy a rifle or a shotgun. You can buy a rifle or a shotgun, shotgun, shotgun at 18. 18. 20 handgun at 21. Or ammunition. But you can own oh. any of those prior to that if it's given to you as a gift. Okay. So it's, it's not illegal for you to have one or you know okay. something like that. So I, but yeah, you're right. So I can so give the money to a friend of mine who can buy the gift. That would be illegal. Oh, okay. Not for you. It would be illegal for the guy to buy it. On my knowing that oh. he's buying it for you, it's like you know doing the cigarette thing, right? Okay, so surprise me here. <laughs> <laughs> Looking for something, yeah. you know, whatever your heart moves to. Uh, no, come remember. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. You left your pistol at my house. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think uh, I think one of the most amazing uh, birthday gifts I ever got was, uh, uh, and not to. Stupid comment. Not not to, <laughs> not to put down any other gift I've ever gotten from anybody, especially somebody in my family. But the the most awesome gift that I recall getting that just was totally out of the blue was when my father-in-law gave me a handgun for my birthday. I wow. That, I mean that that's over the top. I mean it's that's Can we skip to range right that's, now. <laughs> that's better than getting a talib. I tell you, it's, uh, it was it was good stuff. So All right, let's uh, let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for, uh, for fellowship. We're grateful for uh, community and the opportunity to come together and to sharpen one another as iron sharpens iron. Father, we, we pray that you would cause us to have an open and gentle heart to those in need and less fortunate than we. And we pray, Father, that our reaction would always be to recall the partnership that you desire with us.
that you would bless us that we might bless others, that they might see you through us and our actions. Father, you've given us great and glorious commands that we might glorify you by our actions, by keeping those commandments, that they might praise you. The non-believers would see that you're a great God. Father, we pray, uh, each one of us, that these opportunities would be evident. Not that you provide them, we know you do that already, but that they would be more evident to us, that we would react to them properly, and Father, that you would uh, continue to bring them, that we might uh, serve you more openly and more clearly in this crooked and perverse generation. Uh, Even so, come quickly, Lord Yeshua. Amen. Amen. Would you just close the top, should do it. Well, let's no? just be safe. Let's be safe and press the stop button, not the delete button or anything like that.